Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on TalkZone.com. Someone once asked me if I'd ever want to be a teenager again. I responded no, because I would never want to be that stupid again. Now, as a middle-aged man, I find it amazing how stupid many politicians believe the general population is. Each morning, I remind myself not to engage in conversations about politics. There's a saying, if you argue with a fool, then there are two fools arguing. Although I had fantastic history and social studies teachers from grades 7 through 10 and held my own during formal debates in graduate school, I don't recall any conversations about politics. My guests today are going to share their expertise at bringing politics to the classroom. My first guest, Dr. Paula McAvoy, is an associate program officer at the Spencer Foundation. She earned her doctorate in philosophy of education from the Department of Educational Policy Studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Her publications include work in demographic education, cultural and religious accommodation, and the ethics of teaching about politics. These interests were largely formed by her experiences teaching high school social studies in California for 10 years. Paula, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I greatly appreciate you coming on. Uh, Paula, first tell us, uh, what is the Spencer Foundation? We are a private foundation located in Chicago that funds research and education. Okay. And what was the motivation behind the book you, you co-authored with Diana E. Hess titled The Political Classroom? So the book um, comes out of a study that began in 2005 that was looking at high school teachers who engaged students in discussions of controversial political issues. And so these were mostly juniors and seniors in high school. And the study created a um, set of data that comes from three states. So we were in Wisconsin, Indiana, and Illinois. So we have about a 1,000 students in the study and, um, and 35 teachers. Okay. Actually, that's a pretty large uh, sample group there. Uh, yeah. What are what are the educational aims of the political classroom? So the w- the way we define the political classroom in the book is that we're looking at teachers who help young people learn how to deliberate questions that ask how should we live together. And so you opened by talking about that you don't remember talking about politics in classroom, but we're um, talking about teachers who do bring up political issues with students. And um, they do so for the purpose of improving democracy. So we think that one role that schools play and that classroom teachers play is should be helping young people um, be prepared to live well within a democratic society. And that requires us to talk to each other about politics. Now, why do students need specific training and experience in political discourse? Well, you know, it, it seems like... Well, one reason is that if you look outside of classrooms, you see that the political discourse in the United States today um, has gotten pretty thin and is often sort of uh, divisive and doesn't seem like a very productive conversation. So one role that schools can play is helping young people understand that um, there are ways in which political talk can be productive and that we need to talk to each other in order for our democracy to work well. Um, and, 
you know, leading a classroom discussion is really challenging for teachers. Um, for anyone that's been in a classroom, they know that that's uh, it's a really complicated thing to do. And so, and it's complicated for students too because they need to learn how to do ha- have discussions. And a lot of times, students sit in the classrooms and they don't get to open their mouth ever all day long. And so, it's really important that we teach the skills of productive discussion. Okay. Now, how do you respond to people who insist that publicly funded entities, such as public schools teaching impressionable young people, should remain non-political? Right. So there's often a, a feel in the, you know, among parents and the public in general that schools are something separate from the public sphere. But really, the schools are part of democratic society and they were originally founded in order to help um, prepare people to live within a democracy and, and create the informed citizens, citizenry that's necessary um, for a democracy. And so when people say, well, you shouldn't bring politics into the classroom, that's really, um, you know, abdicating one of the real purposes of schools. And we think that it's it's perfectly appropriate to have young people talk about politics in a way that is um, for the purpose of helping them come to understand their own views and understand the issues of the day. Now, I wonder if the old thinking uh, from, let's say, the 70s and 80s is why I never remember having political conversations in school, because I always understood it as you go vote, but you don't tell anyone who you voted for. You keep your opinions to yourself. That's I remember echoes of that um, at home. And, and I wonder if that translated into the fact that we had no um, his side or her side, left side, right side discussions in school. You know, it. It's true. I think even today, most students do not get to, do not get the opportunity to talk about political issues or ethical issues or um, many issues at all in the classroom. So we know from other research that um, that most teachers don't use just don't use com- um, discussion in the classroom. But what we learned from the study is that when you do use when discussion is used well, that students do learn. They become better at discussing. They become more interested in politics. Um, they're more likely to talk about politics outside of the classroom. So even though it does seem like oftentimes we think of politics, as you just said, as, um, as sort of something private or it's not for polite company, it's really unfortunate because it's we, we don't, our views are not well formed unless we've talked to other people. Okay. And the fact that when you mentioned that, I, I thought of the fact that I felt very fortunate attending a school that was a college that was highly diverse. And I would always tell people that going to a, a school that has predominantly, you know, people of one group between the age of 18 and 21 doesn't give you rich discussions and, and, and debates. And when I was in college, the average age was 28 and you had people from all over the world, you know, a lot of international Caribbean, uh, you name it. So we had very rich in-depth conversations. Uh, would you agree with that, 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 that having a homogeneous grouping is, is not as um, conducive to a good political conversation as uh, a diverse grouping? Yeah, absolutely. And we know that this is really important on a lot of levels. So even if you, if you just take, I mean, there have been studies that have looked at, um, if you just talk in, about a political issue with people who are ideologically like you, um, so you put a bunch of liberal people together to have a conversation, a bunch of conservative people to have a conversation, that what they do is they begin to think that they're totally right and that their moves start their 
they the whole group moves towards a more extreme view and they begin to think that people who don't think like them are completely wrong and possibly crazy and so this is a bad outcome we also know that you know if we just think about classrooms if you're talking about an issue like say for example from affirmative action and the, and the classroom is all middle class white kids um and in another classroom you have all african american kids or you know or then neither group is getting the the full picture of what this what the what the implications of this policy are so you can just sort of each reinforce um our views from our own perspective and that's not and that's not a good thing to do so this is exactly why it's important um, to talk to teach young people to talk about political issues so that they if they're not encountering the difference in their own classrooms that when they go out into the world they they feel comfortable talking across political differences and um, you know I, I often use my own experiences to um, to validate you know certain points and to validate your point when I went to graduate school I transitioned from a very diverse undergrad school to a, a New England um, very homogeneous school, and I found that when we had debates, uh, they couldn't hold a debate because they only had one perspective, and they were very limited in their range, and I always found debating very easy when I was in that setting, but I also f- found it uh, disturbing that you had people from, uh, quote-unquote, excellent um, institutions of learning who weren't very diverse in their thinking. So I, I just... um I'm just really piggybacking on what you said and, and adding my own case study to uh, to validate it. That is, it's very limiting, and you really need to get students, not just students, but everybody as exposed as possible. Right. In fact, in the in the book, we actually have a couple of case studies that teach of teachers who teach in ideologic what we label ideologically like-minded schools. So we had one school that was a public high school in a very blue city so it was just it just couldn't be more democrat and then we had two schools that were evangelical christian schools where the student body just leaned really really heavily conservative and in both the schools the teachers that were in the study they were actually trying to counteract this like-minded thinking that you just described in which which people can't seem to even consider what an, an, a different point of view would be and so those teachers were brought in guest speakers that had different points of views they brought in um, lots of reading materials that would um, challenge students' views. But they saw this as a real problem that you, you need to be able to have a conversation and to realize that there are other, there are other views and reasons that should be considered when we're talking about policy issues. Now, in, in an earlier response, you mentioned the fact that, you know, uh, teachers who do it well are, are having a beneficial impact on their students. What would be examples of, of trying to discuss politics in a classroom, but not doing it well? What are the, some some of the mistakes that uh, teachers might make? That's a great question. So, um, what teachers, I think who, when discussion doesn't go very well, oftentimes what the teacher is doing is that they're taking an issue that the students haven't been prepared to discuss and, and throwing it out to the class. Um, so what do you guys think about X, say a current event or something like that, um, or an issue you know, relevant to the curriculum, and some young people have probably probably do follow the news or have some background about about the issue, and there'll be other people in the class that haven't thought much about that issue. And so, what this then creates is that the discussion becomes um, the people who know a little bit having a discussion with themselves, and often the rest of the class not participating because they haven't been prepared. And so, um, what teachers who do it well do is they 
they build up toward discussion by, you know, maybe there's some lecture at the beginning of the week. They have homework assignments and readings that kind of help build the knowledge so that everyone starts formulating their opinions or having opinions challenged. And then you use discussion to sort of work through the material. Um, and so that, and I should say also that what teachers who do it well do is they teach people the skills of discussion. So they really structure discussion so that maybe you're working with a partner at first and sometimes you're working in groups of four and sometimes you're having a large group discussion and you, there's different discussion strategies that would help people build their skills and confidence so that everyone can participate. Now, okay. Now, do you believe uh, social media has made this um easier to accomplish uh for example you know i don't there was no social media obviously in the 70s and 80s um and no internet access you know to everyone on their phones or anything like that as you know and the teacher was looked at as such an authority on the topic such and i remember how easily swayed a class could be and myself included you know when a teacher stated something as fact you know how much did we know about the world so if they're stating it and they're the teacher they're the authority then of course it must be true so um is so has social media made that less likely to happen i think that's a really interesting point that so on the one hand social media has made it so that there's a lot more information available and teachers um can draw upon that and have students as I was just saying, for, so part of the preparation for discussion could be going online and looking at different websites about the issue and seeing um, how information is presented differently or what, what, you know, what facts and information you can find to prepare for a discussion. At the same time, what social media makes challenging is that it's hard for young people to sort of vet what's a legitimate and good source and what's sort of a lot of the, um, you know, what's a, an extreme view that's not well-founded. So um, I think one thing that teachers need to teach today is helping young people navigate social media and news and information in a way that wasn't necess- wasn't as crucial in the 70s and 80s. And I think this is a really hard, you know, there's a lot of groups trying to figure out how to do this best, but um, this is a really important point, and, and it's a challenge for social studies teachers. Excellent. Okay, it's time for us to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Educate on Talk Zone. Here's Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the show and our discussion with our guest, Dr. Paula McAvoy, on the important topic of the political classroom. If you'd like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open, 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. We're taking your calls on TalkZone. Paula, uh, getting back to your book, uh, the years between 2005 and 2009 were a heated time for studying political classrooms. What was going on nationally that provided the context for your study? Yeah, so when we talk about the study, as we were collecting data from the years you just said, 2005 to 2009, um, it became clear to us that there was uh, that we were living in a time that was highly polarized, as I'm sure it's clear to you and most of your and your listeners that we were living in a in a different type of democracy than 
than in the 70s and 80s, as you were mentioning earlier. So um, what this means for teachers is that the political talk outside of school, as it becomes more divisive, as the public becomes more partisan and partisan politics becomes more important, um, this sort of changes what um, what teachers can and should do in the classroom. And so uh, some teachers want to avoid political discussions with students because they worry that this divisive, polarized climate is going to come into school, maybe in the form of parental pushback. Um, and other teachers are aware that, see the political climate and think, oh, this is a problem. What what I need to do is try to help young people talk about politics in a way that's productive as a way to sort of counteract the the political climate that they're inheriting. But in either case, what we what we think that teachers need to do is be really aware and help of of how partisan politics is affect you know, is, has changed the way our democracy works and help young people understand and and navigate this world that's really complicated. Yeah. And I, I agree with you and I think um I would be less of a uh, a less jaded. I mean, I opened up with examples of how jaded I am toward, you know, politics and not even wanting to speak about it and feeling that um, politicians really must think we're all fools. And, you know, I really I really uh, publicly discuss politics, but I, I opened up uh, sharing my views because I think it, my my attitude would be a lot different if I had been exposed uh, the correct way in high school. I mean, I think, um, like you mentioned, a lot of what we see now may very well be the result of the fact that we never learned how to have um, good social discourse. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of problematic factors that are contributing to this. And um, actually, political science shows that income inequality is, is actually a big trigger for partisan and polarized political climates. Um, but but you're right that schools have an important role to play. And what we need is one, one effect of that polarization is having is that more moderate voices, so the sort of independents or the moderate American voter, have been not showing up to the polls. And the people who are showing up to the polls are the most partisan, the most, the deepest partisans vote at much higher rates than independents. And that's, that's a new, that's a new trend. And so, um, it's really important that teachers help young people become interested and informed about politics and that encourage them all to get out to vote because um, it, that's the only way that we're going to maybe make progress. In- I agree, and we'll be more representative. I really think now because of those who have pulled away from the polls, as you suggested, and I'm just being that's a hypothesis, my hypothesis, I think that's why we are becoming more partisan because those so many people are now disengaging from the process. Um, how are the unusual social studies classrooms you chose to study different than typical civics, government, political science, and history classes? A lot of social studies courses uh, rely a lot on textbook information, on teacher lectures, maybe on some documentary films and maybe doing some research projects. But um, we were looking for the teachers who were doing the work of, of teaching young people to talk about controversial political issues. It's not that no one does that. It's not that hard to find teachers who do it. Um, but it, but we know from research that many more teachers rely on lecture than they do on classroom discussion. And what we hope that this book shows is that using discussion in the classroom is time well spent, that there's good democratic outcomes for young people who learn how to do this, um, and there's also good academic outcomes. Students are more engaged in the class. 
they remember the information from the class better. We followed them out longitudinally, and um, the students who had discussion definitely had more um, could remember more of the content of the class than students who were in lecture only. So I think that it's you know what we hope is that we open up discussions with teachers about why and how they can do this in the classroom. And do you also spend time, you know, doing workshops for teachers? And, and the reason I ask is because uh, sometimes teachers, whether deliberately or inadvertently, when they're lecturing, they, they're only giving one perspective. And I know this because I my uh, my office is in a high school and it's right next door to a social studies classroom. And I often mm-hmm. hear the different classes going on. Some information is information. You know, global history is global history. But when you hear classes where uh, a teacher, let's say, is talking political science and they share one view and, and give some facts about one view and then move on without even giving opportunity for another view to present itself, I think that teacher either is doing it deliberately to, to try to promote their viewpoint or they simply need training. So is that something that you provide? We actually have done um, quite a bit of workshops with teachers. As we were doing the study, we would often have workshops in which we had teachers looking at the data that we had, and we have a lot of quantitative data and qualitative case study data as well. And then we do workshops. Diana Hess has been doing workshops in the field of um, democratic education for quite some time, and then we do workshops with teachers to help give them more strategies in the classroom regarding discussion. And I think you're right. It's that teachers, um, they this is a skill that teachers need to develop, and they need help developing it. So schools of education and professional development uh, programs really can do a lot to help, you know, give teachers some, some tools and resources, um, and, and I think that's really important. Yeah, I think they, they also need to especially be cognizant of the fact that um, sometimes they do need to be neutral and try to present both uh, sides of the argument. So so what do the most skilled teachers do when they facilitate discussions in a political classroom? So this issue of, of neutrality is one that we talk about in the book quite a bit. And we we survey, we interview teachers and students about whether or not they knew that, whether or not they knew the teachers' views about issues and and teach, and we asked teachers whether or not they shared their views. And we got really um, sort of interesting and complicated findings around that issue. But the sort of bottom line is that a lot of students are supportive of teachers who occasionally share a view, but they are not at all supportive if they feel like the teacher is pushing a view or preaching um, a view at them. And so mm-hmm. in discussion, when teachers use discussion in the classroom, it actually um, – the more students get to talk about their ideas, they, they become less interested in the teacher's uh, point of view. It's lecture classes where, te- where students were more supportive of saying, well, I, would, I do want to hear the teacher's view. And we thought that was interesting, and we suspect that maybe why the reason that students who are in a, a class in which it's almost always lecture said we're more likely to say they want to know the teacher's view is that they. I think we think that's um, – just a more interesting lecture, right? So to just hear the facts presented, this could be uninteresting, but having a point of, you know, hearing the teacher's point of view perhaps makes it more entertaining. That doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. So another part of the book is about using professional judgment. I think it's better for teachers to to see their purpose as trying to help young people learn how to make arguments, how to disagree with each other, how to consider evidence, and then ultimately form their own opinion about the issues. 
Now, now how is a, how are classes like this assessed? I mean, students have to have a grade. So how would you assess uh, students in a class like this? Right. Well, so first to be, to be clear that the teachers that when we call a teacher, um, a teacher who uses sort of best practice discussion, that they only do that about, you know, they were, we count them as a, a teacher who uses discussion if they use discussion 20% of the time or one day a week. So there's okay. lots of other ways that stu- teachers can assess students. But at the same time, there, we saw teachers who, um, made very clear what the expectations were for discussion so you can grade students on the amount of participation they do. Some teachers keep tally marks of how many people, you know, how, how many times different people have contributed. You can um, give students rubrics for them to assess their own discussion skills and then have teachers comment on that. Um, but you think of, you can think of discussion like teaching writing. And so we teach young people how to write. We see, we, we all agree that that's an important thing for schools to do. So if we help teachers think about, well, what would it mean to teach young people how to have a good discussion. And so teachers can um, have various ways that they go about assessing that. And it also sounds like, and I'm glad you brought that out, the fact that it's, it's 20%. It's not, you know, as if every class are walking in and having these, you know, group discussions. But uh, it also seems like it fits well with the um, English language arts requirements of Common Core, where they want students to be able to... Uh, articulate across curriculums and um, think more critically and, you know, read literature more critically. Um, do you find you have to, because of the pressure on teachers that when you're um, giving workshops uh, that you have to weave this, these facts about common core, it, it's applicable. Do you, do you find you do, do you find yourself doing that more with teachers? I think that the common core has made teachers more interested in this. And for the exact same reasons that you just said that, it emphasizes formulating an argument. It actually, some of the assessments require students to talk to each other before they do a writing assignment, for example. And so the, the core does have some opportunities um, for giving teachers support for engaging students in these kinds of discussions. And so that's, I think that's a lot, there's a, you know, that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have one last question. Um, time went by so quickly. <laughs> Um, what skills must students develop before they are prepared to engage in civil discussion? So one, you know, so let me rephrase or talk about that a little bit different. Sometimes when we interview teachers, they don't think that students are ready for discussion because they don't know how, right? And I think that you can actually learn how to discuss through discussion. So it's important to be what teachers do, um, who are able to do that is that they make it clear what the norms of civil discourse are, that they give students structure and support for discussion. So they structure the activities so that they, maybe students role play or they have, um, they're given different um, materials that they need to try to present to the class. And so thinking that one role of the teacher is to help young people become better at discussion um, is, is an important part of the story. And so teachers, um, really need to think very carefully about how they're scaffolding students towards that skill. Excellent. Actually, I think this is an excellent topic and it's very timely today, especially the day after the president gave his uh, uh, right. state of the union address. It would be, um, create 
excellent discussions in many classrooms. Uh, we have been speaking with Dr. Paula McAvoy, co-author of The Political Classroom, Evidence and Ethics in Democratic Education, also Associate Program Officer at the Spencer Foundation. Paula, where can listeners go to learn more about you and to purchase your book? Uh, the book is available on your, on, you know, most major online retailers and it's also available at the Routledge pub, um, website. So if you Googled the political classroom, uh, Routledge, then there would, you, R-O-U-T-L-E-D-G-E, um, that's where you would, the book would be available there. And then we're working on our website, so we'll have to get back to you on that. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us, Paula. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Stay tuned because our next guest is a teacher who has been actively involved with her students and hashtag hands up, hashtag I can't breathe. <laughs> 